Over the next month or so, I want to look at what it looks like to have an all-in faith in Jesus. Uh, One of the great passages in the Bible is Jesus' first long narrative to the crowds, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus outlines the kind of values that people develop. You can find this in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, he outlines the kind of values that people develop when the Holy Spirit's working on the inside. And he says that people who are committed to kingdom values and kingdom living are the kind of people that God's going to bless. And in the first part of the sermon, Jesus focuses on values. And last week, uh, Rosie talked about one of those, which is gratitude. And the effects of having gratitude in your life and what it produces. Uh, and then in the second half of the sermon, he looks at the impact that people with these values will have on the world. And we're just going to look at one of the aspects from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. One of the aspects that um, Jesus talks about that will be the impact of people who have values uh, consistent with the kingdom of God. And so it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, you're pretty salty. (laughs) That's a good thing, by the way. That's a good thing. All right? That's a good thing. But then he goes on and he says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the salt of the earth. Let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you that, God, you're speaking to us this morning through a whole lot of different media and a lot of different ways. But right now, as we still our hearts, God, we open up our spiritual ears, as it were, And we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us personally about where we're at and what we need to do to be more effective for you in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, one of the amazing things I find about the Holy Spirit is that we can be in a crowd like this, crowd of 300 or so, and he's speaking to each and every one of us. And... He's speaking to us personally as well as to us corporately. So always I encourage you just to develop that ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you personally through the Word because there will be something specific for you. So we're the kind of people that have been created and transformed into a community that's designed to impact the world that we live in. Uh, Jesus in this passage is not saying we are only like salt. Because in the very next verse, he says, uh, you're like light. And salt and light are quite different. So our salt-like influence on the world is just part of the total package. But Jesus says, you are salt. As a Christian with the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, you'll be like salt. You, You don't have to struggle at this. God created you to be like salt, to have a salt-like impact on the world that we live in. 
The impact that we have stems from who we are. It stems from the Holy Spirit working in us. It stems from the character of Jesus that we are growing in and developing in our lives. Uh, The fruit of that character will be evidenced. And what we do flows out of who we are. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in your life will produce salt-like characters, characteristics unless, of course, we have become lukewarm and we've been stopping what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in us and through us. And then Jesus says, you are the salt of the world. The place where we are to be salt in is the world. It's the marketplace. And if we are salt, then our whole life will be different and will stand out in the communities that we live and we work in. So what impact does salt actually have? By the way, how many people like salt? How many people like too much salt? Yeah, my wife is saying he does. He does. She's always telling me uh, not too much salt. She wants to live longer than me but she doesn't want me to die too early (laughs) all right yeah so uh, what kind of impact does salt have uh well first of all it's used as a as a preservative in jesus days and for thousands of years salt was rubbed into meat and other food stuff to stop the onset of decay to stop food from degrading And it still does that today because uh, there are not many bacteria that have a high salt tolerance. So, you know, if you're down the beach and you cut yourself, uh, washing it in salt and clean salt water uh, will generally sterilize the wound. So we are the salt of the world. Our presence, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, should slowly change the condition of the neighborhood that we live in or the place that we work or our family and if you think the world is a pretty in a pretty bad state imagine what it would be like if we removed the influence of Christians I am always amazed when I look at what people in this church are doing you know when I hear of people who have fostered over 50 kids, I'm thinking, what an amazing impact that is. What would those kids' lives be like without that family who have loved them? I mean, we've just seen on the news Saudi princes disappearing without trace. Uh, A journalist brutally murdered for speaking out. People poisoned in the UK. School kids abducted and raped. Bombs being sent to people with opposing political views in the US. Uh, And just uh, yesterday, a a synagogue, someone walked into a synagogue with an automatic weapon and just mowed down uh, worshippers in that Jewish church. Uh, And that's just the things that we know about. Uh, we, We live in a pretty sick world. But we don't change our communities by withdrawing from them. We change them by being like Jesus 
in the middle of them. We change our communities by being salt right where the decay is the worst. Uh, Penny's been teaching Bible in school for about 30 years, but uh, she's noticed things changing in our community, and she's noticed the number of schools that are open to Bible in, in school closing down. So she believed that God gave her a strategy, and she trained as a chaplain a number of years ago. And by the way, there's a chaplaincy training course starting next um, February. And if you want to know more about chaplaincy, um, see Pam. The chaplaincy course that Pam runs would be the best pastoral care course that I have seen. And I, I wish as a young pastor, and I've been pastoring now for 30 years at least, uh, I wish I had that training when I first started out. But Penny trained as a chaplain, and um, this year she has been welcomed into Whangarei Primary School for a couple of hours a week to work as a chaplain, as a Christian chaplain in that school. And the school would welcome lots more trained chaplains into their school to work with the kids if they were available and if they were volunteering. So there is huge, huge opportunities for us people out in the workplace for those who have qualifications, those who have trained. Um, people are crying out for help in the very fields uh, that we are trained in. I heard just this week how a six-year-old went home and told his parents how his teacher had told the class that she is married to another lady. Talk about inappropriate and confusing for kids, but the reality is we need to be salt in those situations because they're going to get worse if we do nothing. Uh, it reminds me of a great friend of ours back in the Hamilton days who had a real burden for um, the seemingly unrestricted spread of sex shops and massage parlors and prostitution in, in the city back then. And so she figured that out that if we are salt and the sex industry is rotten, then a heavy dose of salt would be needed to clean it up. So she found out where every sex shop and brothel was in the city. Uh, she got her husband to ring up the numbers uh, for the advertising for all of these prostitutes. <laughs> she found out where they were, uh, where the addresses were, and she just started praying. And she would drive past them, and she would stop, and she would pray outside the brothels. And the sex shops. Uh, she put an ad in the paper offering help to any sex worker uh, who wanted help. And during the time that she did this, she saw three sex shops close down and had numerous calls for prostitutes wanting help. Now, there was a, a lady who just said, God, what can I do to be salt in that situation? And I guarantee that if you pray um, after this morning, God, what can I do to be salt in the situations that I see and that I have a burden for? I guarantee the Holy Spirit will drop gems of ideas into your uh, mind and into your heart that you can pursue that will really, really, really help to bring God's cleansing power into those situations and circumstances. Salt stops decay. Allowing the Holy Spirit within you to infiltrate your community is a great way. 
Jesus said, rivers of living water will flow out from us. The Bible isn't just about talking about how the Holy Spirit comes to us and blesses us, but it talks about us being conduits of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can flow through us, not just with a dribble or a little damp squib, but with rivers of his living water flowing through us, touching and bringing wholeness and healing into all of the situations where um, we work in and through. And that brings me to the next point about salt. Salt brings healing. Salt was used to be applied to wounds to stop infections from taking hold. And as the salt of the earth, we're in contact with the hurting, the wounded, the brokenhearted, those that are sick, those that are physically, emotionally, and spiritually um, wounded. And we need to be available to, be, to apply to those wounds uh, what God gives us in these situations. And by the way, I had, um, I had Dennis come up to us um, before the service and say, oh, excuse me, Pastor Don, but I'm on, call. I'm on call. And so I have to stand, if I have to stand up and leave, it's not because of something you've said in your sermon. And I said, that's okay, Dennis. Uh, if I see you standing up, I'll just say, um, there's a sinner leaving our building right now. Uh, we need to pray for him. So just warning you. Isaiah 61, verse um, 1 to 3 says this. In fact, if you've got it in your Bible, so I'm going to read verse 4. I've only got the first three up there. But this is the passage by which Jesus first spoke about uh, when he was in the um, temple in Nazareth. And he says this. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To, best to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And then verse 4 goes on and says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. Who's the they that this passage is talking about? You know, when Jesus quoted this, it didn't say the spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. Although it was. But what this passage applies to is to each and every one of us. But when you have a look through that, and if you look, at, look up there, it says uh, at the back end of verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Who's the they? The they in this passage is the ones who have been in despair. It's the ones who have their lives burnt to pieces. It's the ones who have been mourning. It's, it's all of those, it's the ones who have been brokenhearted. It's the ones who have been prisoners. It's the ones who have had calamitous things happen to their lives, and yet the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has come in and has healed them to the point that he then wants to take them and use them to restore and rebuild. 
And it says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. As I look around our congregation and our family this morning, I can see there are people here who have had problems in just about every area of life. None of us have been problem free. But most of us, most of us, by the grace of God, have been healed and restored and rebuilt and God wants to take those experiences that we've had and he wants to use them for his glory and he wants you to be a blessing to those that are yet to receive the Holy Spirit, to those that are yet to be touched, to those that are yet to be healed. And God, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, wants to use us to be a blessing. We just have to recognize that we were created to be salt. We were created to bring healing. Every day we are in situations where we can come to Jesus on behalf of friends and loved ones and workmates and neighbors. And often Jesus will use us as his salt to bring healing to others. You know, we had a whole bunch of suicides in our city last week. A whole bunch. I hear there was about 10. It was a huge number. Not just youth. A huge number. And this is just continuing. You know, we have the highest rate of youth suicide per head of population probably in the world, up here in the north. And God wants us to do something about it. It's not enough to be aware of it. We need to be in places uh, and we can have a positive impact in all of these situations. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. You you are God's workmanship. You are his creation. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The, The reality is you don't have to struggle with this. But God just working in you will work through you if you allow him to. It's the overflow of the Holy Spirit. It's the overflow of what he's doing. Uh, We've just had um, three of our lovely ladies, uh, Debbie, Hillary, and Vicky, come back from missions trips over the last month or so. Uh, I was talking to uh, Vicky, and she was telling me how she saw miracles of provision and miracles of healing as she stepped out in faith and prayed. And I don't think I've ever seen Vicky, by the way, come up uh, as um, as one of the ministry team on our altar calls. But here she is. She goes on this mission, mission trip. She is forced to pray for people. And people get healed. And people get touched. And people get blessed. And they're handing out food. And they haven't got enough food. But the food is multiplied. And they see miracle after miracle. God doesn't just work miraculously overseas. He's the same God in New Zealand as he is in Mexico or the Philippines. All it takes is for us to step out in faith. We pray, he answers. We just need to be a little bit bolder. Numerous times I had the opportunity to pray for my workmates when I was working in industry uh, for healing, and God always, 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 always touch them in one way or other. As salt, we can heal the wounded and brokenhearted and set the captives free. That's 
what salt does out in the, work, in the marketplace. Okay, the one that we know about most of all. Salt brings out the best flavour. I love salt. <laughs> I am terrible with salt, <laughs> according to my wife. <clears throat> but salt is usually the most commonly used to enhance the flavour of food. And if we are salt of the earth, then wherever we are, it should be better because we're there. You know, when, when we walk into the room, we carry the Holy Spirit within us, the creator of the universe. There should be something about us that affects what's happening in that room. Jesus came to help us live life to the fullest. I always remember a um, New Zealand Dairy executive retreat we had in Rotorua. And I remember on the Friday night going down to Rotorua, staying at the top hotel there, as dairy company executives do, and the guys were on the booze, well, mostly, anyway, and uh, everyone was having a really great time, and I was on, I was on orange juice, and the next morning, um, the general manager of the dairy company came up to us as we are getting our food for breakfast, and he says, he said, Don, look at you. And I thought, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and, and then he he looked really sad, actually, uh, and drawn out. And he said, you had just as much fun as us last night, and look at you now. And what he was basically saying is, hey, there's a difference. You don't need to get smashed to have fun. Amen? Yeah. So when we go in a situation, we don't need to withdraw from some of these situations. We are salt in the world. We're in the marketplace. We should be rubbing shoulders with people who need to know that Jesus Christ has got an answer to their, their needs. Uh, we should bring out the best of people. We should be encouraging people to live life the best way that they can. Christians should be the most sought-after employees and employers because they should always be bringing God's empowering presence to the workplace or the neighbourhood. Luke 6.45, Jesus talking says, The good man out of the good things that are stored up in his heart brings out good things. And Christians in the workplace, we should be turning up not just on time, not just making it. We should be turning up early. In fact, if you're in a predominantly non-Christian workplace, I encourage you to get to work 20 minutes early and pray. And pray. But you should be the best. People should always be wanting you to be involved in things because of what you bring to the table, not because you would be the most skilled person, but I know some of you are, but because of your character, because of the Holy Spirit within you, because of what God has done in you. People should be wanting to be around you. And finally... Um, Salt creates a thirst. Salt makes you thirsty. When people see the way we live, the way we work, the way we talk, the way we act, the way God has blessed us, it should make them thirsty for Jesus. You don't have to preach at people. You're going to be a witness for Jesus one way or other. 
One way or other, you will be a witness for Jesus if you call yourself a Christian. But just being who God has created us to be should be enough to make people thirsty for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us, through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Where Penny and I were in the airport, and uh, I can't remember whether it was Zurich or Hong Kong, um, but I remember this lady done up to the nines walking past us, and it was like it was it was like being in a perfume store as this cloud enveloped us as she walked past. <laughs> Quick, move on. The reality is, though, that's what we should be like in a good way. <clears throat> the fragrance of Jesus Christ should be just on us. It's called the anointing, people. It's called the anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit should be such that <clears throat> people can feel, uh, New Age people would, would say, they can feel our aura. All right? Whoa, look at those colors. You laugh, but it should be true. <clears throat> and a number of people here this morning... Uh, Christians because you saw Christianity in action before anyone actually talked to you about Jesus Christ you saw someone you saw something in someone that you wanted that's creating a thirst for Jesus but then Jesus says to the crowd he says but and whenever there's a but in the Bible you want to underline it and take note but if the salt loses its saltiness, if it loses its flavor, I mean, how, how, how can that happen? Isn't salt always salt? I mean, we've been saved to impact the world. What, what can stop us? If you just flick that next slide up, you'll see salt by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, not Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. Okay, and uh, notice the, the brown, crusty stuff hanging down. And uh, that's not all pure white salt that you're going to put on your table. But that salt has got impurities. It's got mixture. The outer layer um, was a mixture of chemicals, basically. And if the salt got wet the pure salt would generally be washed away, leaving a tasteless, crusty residue that was not good for anything but to be thrown out. And so if we allow mixture and compromise and sin, and there's a little verse which says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It's often the little things that can pull us down. If we allow impurity into our lives, then to the extent to which we lose our flavor and our, 
impact on the world, that's going to be the extent to which the impurities are having that impact. And I would suggest this morning that if we're not positively impacting people around about us, if there's no preservative, if there's no healing, if there's no bringing out the best flavor, uh, if you're not creating a thirst, then either you've withdrawn from the marketplace or you've allowed the things of the world to reduce your effectiveness. And there's a number of passages that deal with this um, compromise situation. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them. In Romans 12 verse 2, in the uh, Phillips translation, it says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by having your mind renewed. See, we're supposed to be in the world, but we're not supposed to take our values from the world. It's the other way around. The world is supposed to take their values from us. And then Luke 8, 7. This is Jesus' parable of the sower. And uh, probably one that's very familiar with most of you here. He says, Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And then he gives the interpretation of what that means in verse 14. He says, The seed that fell amongst the thorns stands for those who hear, he's talking about hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, they hear it, but they go on their way and they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures and they don't mature. And so it's really, really easy. This is the um, radical Christian life, which should be normal, being dulled down to fit in with our lifestyle. Uh, many times I've visited India uh, and been on gospel outreaches there. And it's really, really easy to get a Hindu saved. Because Hindus will add Jesus to one of their, well, when I say saved, uh, respond to an altar call for salvation. Because Hindus will just add Jesus to one of their two million gods. So if you stand up after giving an altar call and say, you know, how many people want to believe in Jesus? You know... Uh, Three-quarters of the crowd will put up their hands. And all they'll be doing is adding Jesus to their current lifestyle and their current set of beliefs. But that's not what salvation is about. Salvation is about surrendering all. It's salvation is about recognizing that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to live life to the full is by living with Jesus Christ, number one, in your life. And instead of adding Jesus to your lifestyle, the challenge is to build your lifestyle round about Jesus in a way that's going to be the most impacting to the people around about you. So, we've been created for fruitfulness, but fruit can be prevented from growing and being displayed because of other things beside God that have grasped our attention and mixture and compromise can come into our lives and we can lose our flavor. So, when you focus on Jesus and make him number one, then you change to be like him. And you have an impact on those around about him. When you spend time with Jesus on a regular basis, whether it's um, through reading his word, whether it's through regular quiet times, uh, when you're in his presence, things happen to you. His Holy Spirit gets in on the inside. When you read the Word of God, God's Word changes you 
from the inside out. You can't help but be changed. So how do you regain your saltiness? You're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If you've lost your impact, how can you regain it? Is it possible? Well, Jesus said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite scriptures says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power, that it's work within us. When I was at intermediate school, one of the teachers there decided to find out which members of the class had a science bent. So he handed out packages, and they were packages of salt and mixed with um, carbon. Um, so it just looked like black specks amongst the salt. And so he said to us, what I want you to do is take this away, go home, and see if you can separate the salt and the carbon that's been mixed all the way through it. And so I thought, oh, this will be fun. So I was a bit of a science buff even in those days. <coughs> I'd, I'd managed to um, colour the bedroom roof with hydrogen peroxide and manganese dioxide, which I'd blown up. And um, <coughs> uh, I think in intermediate school I hadn't yet burnt my hair off, but I did manage to do that when I was at um, secondary school. Um, <coughs> I had these glasses with... Um, all sorts of uh, chemicals that I'd found in the wash house um, mixed together and I had batteries plugged into them to see what colour they would go and uh, there I found, oh, I, I, well, no, <coughs> no youngies here either. No. <coughs> uh, the things that I did <coughs> these days, Osh would have a... Um, <coughs> one time I was, um, I was trying to build a... a uh, electromagnet, and I had a little bit of knowledge, but not enough. And I wound a uh, copper wire onto a um, onto a onto a rod, and uh, wired it into a um, into a plug, and then <laughs> and then plugged it in <laughs> in my bedroom, turned it on, <laughs> and blew blew the thirty amp fuse <laughs> in the switchboard of our house. <laughs> So anyway, I had a bit of a science bent, <coughs> and I took this stuff home, and, and mum was that way inclined as well, that's where I got it from. Uh, not dad, he was peace-loving. <laughs> so mum and I sat down, and, um, and we, got some, we got some cloth, and uh, so we talked about it, and what we did was we, we dissolved the, all of the solids up. And we poured them through this cloth, which filtered out the black specks. And so we had the solution of, of then salt that had come through, which was free of all the carbon. And then we put that solution in a pot and put it on the, um, put it on the stove. And we slowly bubbled it away and evaporated all the water away. And there we had all of the salt left. And we had the carbon. I took that back to um, school. And I went to the top of the class. Yes, uh, that was good. But that is really, really a picture of what we do 
to regain our saltiness. First of all, we've got to separate. We've got to separate the mess from our lives. We've got to separate the, the sins, the, the things that you know in your life that aren't pleasing to God. You've got to separate those. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let me read that again. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So confession is that separation. Confession is that filter by which the sin is taken from us miraculously because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God has extended his grace towards us his empowering presence enabling us to be what we were created to be but we have to get rid of the sin through the process that Jesus Christ has determined and that is Lord I'm sorry please forgive me for the way I've been living please forgive me for this and this and this fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit Help me live a kind of life which is pleasing to you. That's confessing your sins to God. Let's have the musicians, please. We need to get rid of our sin. We need to surrender afresh to God and be soaked and immersed in His Holy Spirit and then allow Him to remake us. There's a beautiful passage in Isaiah, I think it is, that talks about, could be Jeremiah, that talks about the, the potter having a lump of clay that's been marred. And he takes that clay that's been marred and he puts it back on the, on the potter's wheel and he remakes that pot. And some of us here this morning feel like we are that piece of pottery that's flawed and cracked and broken. And when I talked about all those attributes of salt, you were looking at yourself and you were thinking, hey, well, I don't have that effect and I don't have that effect and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. But God just wants to come to you and fill you afresh and begin to remold and remake you and he does that supernaturally by the power of his Holy Spirit it's not something that we can do with human hands it's not a matter of psychology it's a matter of God working from the inside out and just doing that beautiful healing restoring work of the Holy Spirit some of that marring has happened through events through hurts through situations that you've been through And those cracks, those chinks in our armor, as it were, have been stopping us from stepping out and being the kind of people that God created us to be.